KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Eric Anderson in for Debbie Cruz. It is Monday, November 14th. A new experiment studies what museum-goers really want to see. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County's local health emergency for monkeypox expired. County health officials didn't renew it because of a significant decrease in new monkeypox cases. The county was reporting five or fewer new cases per week since the middle of last month, There have been more than 440 monkeypox cases in the county since the first case was reported on June 15th. Some water activities will be suspended at Miramar Reservoir until early next year because of work on the city's pipeline project. The project includes installing a one-mile pipeline, which is expected to provide the city with half of its water supply by 2035 through water recycling. Canoeing, kayaking, boating, and tubing will all be paused while the work is being done. But people can still access the shore areas, including picnic and barbecue areas, paths, and shore fishing. Tunneling into the reservoir is expected to be done by early next year. Construction of the pipeline is scheduled to begin mid-year 2023. The San Diego Humane Society is putting out an urgent call for foster volunteers. Their shelters are near full capacity, and they say they need at least 50 foster homes for the animals. Chris Queen has been a foster volunteer for almost five years and encourages anyone who's ever thought of fostering to do it. You don't have to worry about whether or not you have the experience. The foster team will guide you through that and they'll match you with the right animal for your first experience. Fostering doesn't cost anything. The San Diego Humane Society provides the food, the medicine, and the know-how for foster animals. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Ever since museums have existed, directors have tried to imagine the best way to arrange and illuminate the objects on display. But now art museums are getting some help from science. KPBS science tech reporter Thomas Fudge has this story about an experiment that tries to determine what museum goers really want to see. A video taken at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art shows museum visitors at a pottery exhibit. They approach a display case, circle it, and stand for a short time looking at it before moving on. The video is one small piece of visual data the Salk Institute will examine to find out how people interact with art objects. Professor Tom Albright, a neuroscientist at Salk, says the people in the videos are converted by a computer to stick figures to analyze their movements. Like pointing or standing in front of an object for some extended period of time or turning and talking to a friend who came into the museum with them. And we can then look at the frequency of all those events 
when they occur, when somebody moves through the gallery, what's the path that somebody takes as they move through the gallery. Cameras are installed near the top of the 20-foot walls that surround the pottery exhibit to capture the movement of the visitors. Albright says this experiment, funded by the National Science Foundation, has two goals. One is focusing on creating a good museum exhibit. How can we optimize the placement of objects in the gallery to facilitate learning on the part of the visitors. Then there is the scientific part. The second goal is to understand how people behave, how visual information and access to, to the motor access to the space affects the choices they make. The Salk Institute is partnering with the L.A. County Museum of Art, where people's behavior in a gallery is being examined. Victoria Boehner is director of exhibition design at LACMA. She says for all the anecdotes they've heard and observational studies they've done, she thinks this study will provide better information about how to engage museum visitors. This study will provide us with some really great data that um, we can then use towards future decision-making. And then when we go, well, we know that this is what happens, but we want to do something else anyway, then at least we know what we're doing. And as we move around it, the work really changes. In La Jolla at the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, senior curator Jill Dossey shows me an eight-foot-tall sculpture made from resin. You know, when you're standing straight on, it has rounded corners, and yet as you move around, you see the sides have sharp edges. This sculpture is clearly the star of the exhibit. As you enter the gallery, it's the first thing you see. It's translucent and changes color as you move around it and as the gallery's natural light fades or brightens. Dossie says just putting two artworks in the same space makes a statement about the story you want to tell. And so we think carefully about how we are creating meaning. We think about the pacing of art objects, how much space goes between them. We think about sight lines and how we are going to, um, you know, stage an artwork to pull a visitor forward into a room. And she says, you've got to put a sculpture in a place where a visitor isn't going to back into it when they're looking at a painting on the wall. Dawson looks forward to the findings of the Salk Institute study. I think it would be fascinating to see what they learn because in my experience visitors you know navigate the museum in their own idiosyncratic ways but it would be helpful to know um, you know the pace at which people are moving through the galleries and how often um, artworks really do serve as conversation pieces. The Salk Institute's Tom Albright says scientists will manipulate the exhibit at the LA County Museum of Art to see how that affects visitor behavior. Descriptive text alongside the artwork will be shortened or expanded. The location of artworks will be moved around. The exhibit is called Conversing in Clay, ceramics from the LACMA collection. It will be open until May 23rd of next year. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. California regulators have unveiled details of their second attempt to reform the state's solar rules, and they will take a last round of public comments at a Wednesday hearing. The proposal does not include a steep mandatory solar connection charge, but it does slash the value of electricity generated, which is sold back to the grid. Kathy Fairbanks works for the utility-backed group Affordable Energy for All. She says 
The plan fails to make meaningful reforms. We would like to see reform of the net energy metering program to eliminate this cost shift and bring the program more in balance so that all customers are paying their fair share. Fairbank says the new rules don't do that. Solar advocate Bernadette Del Chiaro says the proposed rules slash the value of electricity generated on rooftops. They're proposing a 75% decline in the value of solar energy exported to the grid effective April 2023. That's a pretty big drop in the value of solar, and it's it's hard to imagine that that's not going to hurt. Regulators could finalize the rules in mid-December. The city's independent budget analyst has a new plan to build more affordable housing in San Diego. The analyst just put out a new report with some ideas on how to do it. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says it is a first step toward creating more truly affordable housing. It's no secret that San Diego and all of California has an affordable housing crisis. But there are efforts underway to combat this issue. That includes a new report from the city's independent budget analyst, 26 pages on how to improve housing affordability in San Diego. Jillian Cassie is deputy director at the IBA's office. The more that the city can streamline, look at its own processes and make them better, I think the, you know, the better we can um, have an impact on housing affordability. The analysis suggests multiple ways to overcome certain barriers, such as permitting and financing, height limits, and funding shortfalls. Cassie says the city council is digesting the report, and her office is awaiting further direction. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. Voters overwhelmingly passed a measure to allow child care at San Diego parks and rec centers. KPBS reporter Claire Tregesser looks at what that means for San Diego families. They identified 72 sites and 42 of the 72 are parks and recreation centers throughout the city. Councilmember Raul Campillo championed Measure H. It will change the city's charter so the city can lease space to child care businesses. Providing the option for child care providers to have this space uh, that would be potentially cheaper than building their own uh, their own facilities uh, or renting out uh, for-profit facilities that might charge them more. He says the idea is to give cheaper leases than what is commercially available, but he can't promise that. The city council has to approve any leases of three years or more. If it's less than three years, the mayor's office can't approve it. And if it's an if it's an extension of an lease that's already in place, it does have to come to the city council. So uh, I, I anticipate that each of these leases will come to the city council. Campillo says as of right now, the plan is not to save any of these child care slots specifically for city employees. But we do look for ways to expand that benefit to our employees. Uh, right now, I'm more concerned about analyzing the specific parks and recreation centers that can have child care slots so that families that live in those neighborhoods will look to a nearby park where they can drop their child off before work uh, and be able to pick up after work without having to drive way out of the way uh, from where they live. The measure's success sends a message about what voters want. So says Courtney Baltiski, the director of advocacy for the San Diego YMCA. We need to be prioritizing parents and caregivers and really see them um, in their struggles to 
you know, nurture and care for children at the same time that they are working and supporting our local economies. Next, she's looking to see council members prioritize funding for child care in the city budget. But the hope is that this is a nudge for all council members and the mayor to consider what these facilities need to get up and running to house licensed child care. And then we'll definitely need to see facilities funding for tenant improvements in these spaces. Um, even funding that would help with deeper exploration um, in knowing which facilities may be in childcare deserts. Some childcare sites could be running in city parks and rec centers next year. Claire Tregesser, KPBS News. Coming up, La Jolla Playhouse is populating Shakespeare's Forest of Arden with a cast of trans, non-binary, and queer performers. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Transitioning to civilian life for veterans can come with a lot of anxiety, but a program at San Diego State University tries to help them bridge that gap. KPBS SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge tells us about troops to engineers. Jesus Samaniego Sanchez, his friends call him Sammy, spent five years in the Marine Corps working as an aircraft support technician. He says he wanted to join the Marines to serve his country. He also saw it as a way to afford college. School's not cheap, so I enlisted to get some of the veteran benefits like the GI Bill, which I'm currently using right now. Sammy Samaniego chose to attend San Diego State and get an engineering degree. There, he found troops to engineers. Project manager Joshua Eim says the group gives student veterans moral support and career guidance. So this program is essentially a way to help veteran students bridge that gap and overcome those hurdles of transitioning from military into a civilian career. I'm says engineering comes naturally to veterans who have worked with technical equipment in the military. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. The Army and Navy Academy for Boys in Carlsbad has been open for more than 100 years, but they've recently celebrated a first. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne introduces us to the first woman to lead the all-boys school. For 112 years, the Army and Navy Academy in Carlsbad has housed thousands of cadets. But throughout the Academy's long history, a woman has never been president. 
until retired U.S. Army Major General Peggy Combs took on the job. You know, I just believe that the school is definitely moving towards the future. Um, it, it has nothing to do with, like I said, it, uh, that of my gender. It's just the experience um, that I bring uh, to the school in character, leader development, um, you know, and, and just training and education. Combs served in the Army for over 30 years, is a two-star general, and has worked with thousands of ROTC students nationwide. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Remarkable teens in San Diego were honored by the County Public Defender's Office last week. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez has more on the outstanding youth nominated for making a difference. It's an annual event in November when 25 teens are recognized for their accomplishments and contributions to the community. 16-year-old Vedant Nahar is one of them. He's a junior at Scripps Ranch High School and the CEO of a startup company that created MedAlert, a potentially life-saving app nurses can download right now. My friend's grandmother accidentally passed away due to a medication error in a nursing facility. And using that as inspiration, my team and I created MedAlert because we wanted to solve the issue of medication errors in these nursing facilities. 13-year-old McKenna Stumpo is an accomplished pianist and singer who uses his talent to raise money for charity and to comfort the elderly. Most people have visions, but they don't go out to achieve it. I think remarkable people are the ones that go out to achieve. Vedant and McKenna, two of San Diego's most remarkable teens. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. In Shakespeare's romantic comedy, As You Like It, Rosalind and Orlando meet at a court, but they don't truly find love until they're banished to the forest. La Jolla Playhouse gives us a reimagined play where identities can be fully explored through a cast of trans, non-binary, and queer performers. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando attended an early rehearsal of the play and has this preview. We apologize for the little beeping of the, uh, it's actually them building the set. While construction takes place outside the Playhouse's rehearsal room, some deconstruction is happening inside. Yes, that feels unfinished. Take the court versus forest motif of Shakespeare's As You Like It. Dramaturg Regina Victor says Elizabethans would have seen it as restriction versus freedom, perhaps even Protestant versus Catholic. But how could that be redefined for a modern audience? And so for us, our production is the binary court and the free genderful forest. A dramaturg has some key duties, world building for a new play, historical context for an old one, and acting as a playwright's advocate, even if he's dead. What do I think Shakespeare would have wanted? What was his intention in writing the story? And how can our interpretation honor that without distracting from it? So while gender fluidity wasn't a topic of discussion in Shakespeare's time, the playwright was obviously interested in ideas about gender and identity. At Shakespeare's Globe Theater, a young boy would have played the female lead of Rosalind, who then must disguise herself as a man who pretends to be a woman so that the man she secretly loves can woo her. What Shakespeare's original productions had to do, that this one also has to do, is get down to the essence of the person. Peter, uh, who's playing Rosalind, talks a lot about in the forest I become a lover. And that identity transcends gender. 
Christopher Ashley is one of the play's co-directors. I would say our production is even more genderful than original productions because we have this amazing group of actors, trans actors and non-binary actors and queer actors, and there's all of these options for how does this production construct the possibilities for that character. And that meant rejecting the idea of a world defined in binary terms. When it comes to gender, this idea that like there has to be only men and women and there's no other options. And I've been looking at different Shakespeare plays to think about like, is there a play that really brings that idea to life and that feels like these ideas are really coming organically out of the play. Which led his co-director Will Davis to ask, what would happen if Rosalind was not pivoting from female to male and back again, but rather was shedding the very idea of being binary? And what if that was reflected through the costumes? Rosalind starts to shed layers, courtly layers, and then starts to accumulate other things, and that we're we're watching her transform over time. Other characters also get to shed layers and pass them on to someone else who might look great wearing them, because the image we choose to present can have an impact. The more I can imagine something and believe in what I'm imagining about myself and for myself, the more the world is going to respond to that. For Regina Victor, gender play can be an invitation. Just because you present one way doesn't mean your gender has stopped. It doesn't mean you've arrived at. It means that you are now fluid between. And that's been really exciting. And while the production has added some contemporary music, it has not really altered the text of Shakespeare's play. Even when Rosalind's epilogue returns to the binary language of male and female, says Victor. Because what ended up being more delightful was giving this trans performer the ability to put that gender panic back on the audience. And to say, like, it's not actually for me to make sense of this for you. It is actually for me to invite you to make sense of it yourself. Shakespeare's plays have proven endlessly adaptable because they're not about the past. Their main thing is the human imagination and the possibility of human relationships, which feels like it never dates. So let the Playhouse take you to its genderful forest, where you might experience Shakespeare from a fresh perspective. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. La Jolla Playhouse's As You Like It opens tomorrow and runs through December 11th at the Potaker Theater. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Eric Anderson. Debbie Cruz will be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.